All right. Um, welcome. My name is uh, Doug, and I'm one of the pastors here at Parkview. It's a joy to be able to worship with you all this morning. We are a church that longs to glorify um, God by making disciples of Jesus. And one of the ways that we do that on Sunday mornings, one of the ways that we bring glory to God by making disciples is we open up his word and we proclaim it to one another. And so this morning, we're going to do that from John 17. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'd encourage you to take it out and open up to John chapter 17. And we'll spend the next couple of weeks together exploring this really beautiful and rich text as a people. John 17. Um, as you're turning there, um, just want to kind of, this, is, this seems like a safe place. I'm going to just share just a, a quick story, okay? Um, so I grew up as in, in our family in Dubuque, Iowa. We didn't have a lot of teams to, you know, professional teams to root for. And so I was just raised a Cubs fan, okay? Raised a Cubs fan. And uh, would always just, you know, just tons of memories as a, as a child growing up, listening to the Cubs on the radio, watching Cubs on Sunday afternoon with my, with my parents, and, and just really enjoyed a good Cubs game, okay? However, it wasn't until I got to college, um, later in college, that I was actually able to go and watch a Cubs game. Hadn't been to uh, Wrigley Field until I was probably 21, 22 years old. And uh, the moment of getting to Wrigley Field, especially as a, growing up as a Cubs fan, it was just a really special moment. Seeing this, this, this stadium over the years on TV and, and just approaching it. I mean, just as I went there with some friends and, and one of my brothers, we were able to go. And it, it just as we kind of walked up Clark Avenue and saw the, the marquee, um, just really took it in, right? It, it was um, really sort of a sacred moment. It was a sacred sort of space that we felt like we were entering. Never forget sort of walking into the stadium in the first glimpse of Rickley Field. And it was just, it was just breathtaking. It was just really a beautiful, beautiful scene. It was like, it was like we were stepping on sacred ground. Um, this morning, as we open up God's Word, and specifically as we look at John 17, we should also recognize that on some level, we are, we are entering sort of sacred territory. This chapter specifically, certainly all of the scriptures are God-breathed and are sacred, but there is something unique and so beautiful about John 17. So, so sacred this text is. In fact, on his deathbed, the Scottish reformer John Knox was asked by his wife, where do you want me to read? And Knox responded, where I first put my anchor down in the 17th chapter of John Listen to what John Stott, the great theologian, says about this chapter specifically. He says, John 17, without a doubt, is one of the profoundest chapters in the Bible. There are depths here we will nev never fathom. All we can do is paddle in the shallows. Here are heights we cannot scale. We can only climb the foothills. Nevertheless, we must persevere, for if the upper room discourse is the temple of Scripture, John 17 is the inner sanctuary, or holy of holies. Here we are introduced into the presence, mind, and heart of God. We are permitted to eavesdrop as the Son communes with the Father. We need to take off our shoes since this is holy ground. Some throughout history have actually, because of sort of the sacred nature of this specific text, there's been some that have gone so far to say that the 17th chapter of John ought not to be preached. It is just that special, just that sacred. 
certainly we can appreciate and be sensitive to, to the, the nature of this, the sentiment of the sacred text. But you will notice and have already that we are preaching John 17, all right? We are preaching this special text and will for the, the weeks ahead. And I believe that not preaching it actually would be a big mistake, be a big mistake. In fact, the Lord Jesus would not have prayed this, would not have prayed it audibly if he didn't want for us to read it, to study it, to understand it, to be a people who are formed by these very words. And we have a great deal, as we will see over the course of the next couple of weeks, a great deal to learn from this chapter. We get the opportunity to peer into the very heart of Christ himself. We get to learn the heart of Jesus as we study this, te- as we study this text. We also get to discover and get to learn a great deal about our own existence and our own purpose as his people in this world. And so we're going to do something this morning that is a little unusual here. Um, We're going to collectively, as a people, read the entirety of John 17 out loud. It's a doozy. It's a long one, okay? But I think, I think you got it in. You feel like you got a little bit of extra energy in you this, this morning. So I would encourage you, the words will be on the screen. You can, you can, we're using the ESV version. And so I would encourage you to, if you're able, to, to stand. And for some of you, this might be unusual, but I assure you, this is historically what the people of God have done. They have stood together and read the scriptures out loud. And so join me as we read John 17 together. I'm going to read it, and I just ask that you just read it. Try your best to read along with me, okay? Let's go ahead and read. John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that you know only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And you've kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given to me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy, 
fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as I love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we gather this morning as your people. And uh, we do so uh, by the power of your spirit and around um, your word. And so, Lord, we ask that you would take this sacred text, Lord, this rich and beautiful passage of scripture, Lord. And we ask that um, as we gather on Sundays, Lord, that you would, over the course of the next couple of weeks, um, form us as your people through your word. Lord, we love you. Just pray that you would speak right now through me. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can grab a seat. Oh, I see that we have a lot of kids in here this morning. And so, children, so glad that you're here. Parents, so thankful that you have brought them in here to worship with us as a whole church. Um, something for you to ask, just want to ask kids right now. As you consider growing up, you don't have to answer this audibly. You can just think about it in your head. As you grow up, as you consider yourself maybe 10, 15, 20 years down the road, what do you want to be like? Who do you want to be like? Who do you want to be like? Any thoughts, any people, any, anything come to your mind when you think about yourself 10, 15 years from now? When I was a little boy growing up, I desperately wanted to be like my older brothers. I don't know if some of you can relate to that or not, but I had, the Lord graciously gave me two older brothers, and I just thought they were the coolest things in the world, coolest people in the world. I just wanted to be just like them. My oldest brother had a waterbed. How cool is that? How weird is that now? I don't know if you guys are still rocking waterbeds or not, but just the thought of it, it's like, what in the world? Just so cool. The sports that they played, I wanted to play those sports. The, the clothes that they wore, I wanted to wear those clothes. 
the things that they did with their free time, the friends that they had. I wanted to be just like them. So I wanted to dress like them, talk like them, walk like them, play like them, work like them. I wanted to be like my brothers. As a church, what we've been saying over the course of the last couple of years, or well, hopefully forever, right? But especially over the last couple of weeks, is that what we want to see is that as a church, that we would become more and more like Christ, that we would make disciples of Jesus. And as we do that, as we make disciples of Jesus, what we're making are people, individuals, men and women who want to be like Jesus. And what we're going to see this morning as we look at John 17, specifically just the first few verses, the first few words actually of John 17, is that to be like Jesus, we must pray. That's the big idea of the message this morning. To be like Jesus, we must pray pray. To be followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus who, who learn Christ, who love Christ, and who live like Christ, we must pray. We must pray. As we want to engage in the great work of making disciples for the glory of God, guess what? We must pray. We must pray. John 17, 1 tells us as much. As we look specifically just at the first half of the first verse, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father. If we look, if we just stop right there this morning, I want to show you two things that will help us be a praying people just like our Lord and Savior Jesus is a praying Lord and Savior. Two things. One, we will consider together the purpose of Jesus' prayer. And secondly, we will look at John 17 and see the picture of prayer that he provides for us. So first, what's the purpose of Jesus' prayer? This, this passage, as I said before, is so sacred, and it really finds itself in a really unique, special section of John's gospel. Verses 13 through 16 are what commonly referred to as the upper room discourse. These verses, these chapters provide for us an insight into the final moments of Jesus' life with those who were closest to him, his disciples, as they approached the cross that was coming, that was looming in just a matter of hours. In John 13, if you're familiar with the story, an amazing story. We see this shocking display of humility as, as Christ himself assumes the position of a servant, washes the feet of his disciples, and says to them, just like I've served you, you now are to serve one another. He exhorts them in John 13 and says, in fact, the world will know that you belong to me by the way that you love one another. That's how important this is. Following this remarkable scene, Jesus preaches essentially a phenomenal sermon. The subject of his discourse, of this sermon, Jesus explains with great care what his, death, what his death and his departure would essentially mean for his disciples. And you could kind of look at verses chapter sorry, 14 through 16 and, and think of it sort of in two parts. The first part, Jesus deals with questions that the disciples have concerning his departure. You can imagine having spent time with Jesus, having an understanding of, of maybe what Jesus was about to do here on earth. Jesus is now preparing them for his departure from this earth. And this is catching them off guard. They have questions. There's concerns. And he's trying to show them ultimately what his death will mean for them. This, these are some difficult words that Jesus is speaking to his followers. Letting them know that things like persecution would come. The cross was looming. That Jesus himself 
was going to face rejection and denial. And if they were followers of Jesus, they likewise would face a certain uh, similar fate. So he prepares them, answers these questions, speaks some difficult things to them. But another part of this sermon is he doesn't just have some really difficult things to say to them. He has some really glorious and wonderful things to say to them. In the second part, Jesus speaks to the necessity of God's people to persevere as followers of Jesus. Tells them that, that God will send another, a comforter, a helper, who will help them ultimately accomplish God's will through them. In the midst of so much uncertainty, of so much fear that you can imagine that these individuals are facing, Jesus speaks words of comfort and words of peace into their life. Knowing what was coming in his grace, he understood that his followers were not in need of simply a pep talk. That's not what they needed. They didn't just need a pep talk. Rather, what they needed was a deeper understanding and a deeper experience of the gospel. And that's precisely what Jesus gave them in his sermon. We see as we look at John 17 that the exact same themes find their way into the Savior's prayer. From his message into his prayer. And it's interesting, at the beginning of this discourse, the beginning of John chapter 14, at the end of John chapter 16, right before Jesus prays for his disciples, we, it's kind of bracketed with a similar phrase. Beginning of John 14, verse 1, Jesus says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. At the end of John 16, Jesus says, take heart. With Jesus' words, he is encouraging his disciples don't let your hearts be troubled the path that lays ahead of you is going to be difficult but take heart you're not alone god is with you you will persevere jesus in this moment after he preaches the sermon now the text says he lifts up his eyes to heaven and says jesus shifts from preaching to praying but his point isn't any different. He, he now prepares his people, not through a sermon, but through a prayer. Prayer is something that many of us are very familiar with. Whether because of where you are in your relationship with Jesus, maybe you're here today and, you, and you're not a follower of Jesus, and we are so thrilled that you're here. Prayer, for most of us, we have a general understanding of what prayer is. In fact, if I were to ask you right now, what is prayer? Probably the vast majority in here would say prayer is simply talking to God. And that's, the, that's a great answer. That's a right answer. But over the years, um, I have learned maybe a different way of defining what prayer is that has been really, really helpful for me. At Faith Academy, we use the New City Catechism to teach uh, God's Word to the students down there. And one of the, the questions in the catechism, if you're not familiar with what a catechism is, it's just a question that is asked and then you memorize an answer as a way of, of learning God's Word. And the question is simply this, what is prayer? And the answer to that question, all, every one of the scholars down there could say, it's a it's simple answer, but it's a beautiful answer. And it's this. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. What is prayer? Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. That's exactly what prayer is. It's pouring out our hearts to God. This is what it is for us as we talk to God. And just, just stop right there and think about that. How amazing is that? 
See, the only person in this room right now that really knows what's in your heart is you. The, the only person in this room that really knows what my heart looks like and what's in there is me. And it blows me away every single time when I stop and reflect on my own heart and I think that the creator of the universe knows, he knows what's in there, right? He knows the sin that is in my life. He knows the, the sin that exists in my heart and in yours. But do you know what he wants? Even though he knows what's in there, he wants you to open it up and to pour it out to him. He knows what's in my heart, and he still wants it. That should blow us away every time we think about it. What is prayer? It is pouring out our hearts to God. And as we consider what is happening in John 17, that is precisely what Jesus, the Son, is doing to the Father. He is opening up his heart, and he is pouring it out to the Father. As we move through this chapter, we will, there's sort of three different sections in the chapter. First, Jesus pours out his heart to the Father specifically for himself. What is in his heart, he asks of God. He lays it before God, and he speaks specifically about what he wants for himself. The, the next move, that's in verses 1 through 5. The next movement, Jesus shifts, and his focus shifts. He's still pouring out his heart, but from verses 6 to 19, he's pouring out his heart specifically for his disciples, those who are right there with him, who are his followers. He's asking God specifically what God can do for those disciples. And then from verses 20 to the end of the chapter, Jesus shifts again, still pouring out his heart, still laying it before God, but his focus shifts from his immediate disciples to all of the disciples who would come after. So if you pause and think about that for a moment, what Jesus is doing in John 17, verses 1 through the end of the chapter, Jesus is praying for you. This is his heart laid bare before God the Father for you and for me. He's pray. If you've ever wondered, what would Jesus pray for me? Church, wonder no more. It's right here, John chapter 17. Jesus opens up his heart and prays for you and for me. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have ever had somebody pray for you, um, audibly pray for you in the same like close proximity to where you're at so that you can hear them it is an incredibly powerful experience just recently I had the chance of just um, having somebody pray for me they, they, they knew I needed prayer and they didn't know much about me or what I needed prayer for but they knew I needed prayer and there was a moment where the, several individuals were able to come around me and just pray and as they prayed it's the most amazing thing that happened, and it, it happens when you pray for other people, is I felt known, and I felt loved. I felt completely known by these individuals who were praying for me, and I felt loved by them. And that's precisely what we should feel as we consider our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, praying for us this very moment. We should feel known by him and we should feel loved by him this is so so important because the bible tells us that this isn't just what jesus did some two thousand years ago 
Here's the deal, church. This is what Jesus is doing right now. The Bible is very clear that Jesus right now is at the right hand of the Father, and he is, the Bible tells us, that he lives, that he lives to make intercession for us. This is what he's doing. His job is to intercede on our behalf for the Father. He is praying for us continually. And maybe you were wondering, well, what does that look like? It looks probably a lot like this. Jesus is an intercessor. It may be a tricky word, but um, again, growing up, there was, you know, youngest of five, and there was, it's kind of a joke in our family that there was one, say brother, who was the favorite. I wasn't him, okay? Um, now, my parents didn't really have favorite, you know, they loved us all, whatever, but there was kind of a joke. There was one specific that we all, everybody kind of knew this is the favorite one, right? So if you wanted something, you know what we would do is we would kind of get that brother to go before mom and dad and try to convince mom and dad that, hey, Maybe we should turn the air conditioning on. It's getting a little hot in here, right? Okay, maybe that'd be a good idea, right? And so we would send him before us, and he would sort of represent the other brothers and sisters, and, and, and we were thinking if there's a chance that the AC would get turned on, it's our bets with Ben, all right? Let's, let's ask Ben to intercede on our behalf. And, and on some level, that's similar to what this idea of intercession means. Somebody who goes before us, who represents us, who asks for us. This is what Jesus is doing for us right now and always. That's why it's called the high priestly prayer. Because that's what a priest does. He enters the Father's presence, takes our needs before the throne of grace for us. It's not as though God needs to be convinced or as though he wants something different from us than what Jesus may persuade him towards. The Father wants to bless us and he's eager to do it. But this is the unique high priestly role of Christ. For there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, the Son of God. John 17, we see Jesus praying passionately for us. In so doing, I believe that we are given a glimpse, sort of a preview of what he continues to pray for us. So as we consider, let's consider just as we look at this chapter, maybe a handful of different categories, themes that we will see over the course of the next week, couple of weeks of how Jesus prays for, what he's asking specifically for us. And as we read off these themes, I want you to just be checking with yourself, is this something that I need now, okay? First thing is the theme, we see this in, especially in 11 through 15, verses 11 through 15, that Jesus prays for your security. He prays for your security. In a hostile and uncertain world, he asked that God would guard us, that God would protect us, that God would never let us go. Jesus says, listen, these are the people that you have given me, and I have kept them while I'm here. Now, God, he essentially hands them back over to the Father, and his request is, God, would you keep them? Protect them, fortify them, strengthen them, keep them secure and safe. God, would you keep them? That's how Jesus is praying for you and me right now. He prays also for our holiness. We see this especially in verses 16 through 19, that we might know and embrace the truth in a world that is filled with lies, that his people would be a people who are set apart by the truth of God's word. 
and that we would be folks who would hold fast to the truth as lies swirl around us, as, as we are tempted to give way and be formed by, by others, that we would hold fast to the word of God and there would be people who are shaped and formed by God's truth, not by the lies of this world. He asked for our holiness. He also asked for our unity. Verses 20 through 23, we see this especially. A people, God's people, would be a deeply diverse people. And God's, Jesus' heart for these people is that they might be one, just as the Father and the Son are one, that they would be a unified people. He prays for our unity. One of the effects of Jesus' sacrifice is that his blood has made one united people. Jesus doesn't want us to forget that. And I don't know about you, but I am tempted probably day after day after day to forget that. That we are one people. I think of oftentimes, even in our community, um, it, it can be unfortunate, but you see the body of Christ divided and territorial. Jesus says, let it not be. We are one people, united by the blood of Jesus. And his heart is that we would never forget that. In a world that is shifting us, forcing us, calling us to the edges, to, to polar opposites, to be divided. Jesus says, no. Be a united people. I died for one people. Don't forget it. We can't forget it. He prays for our unity. He also prays for our multiplication. We see this in verses 21 through 23. That this united people, and this is my, my goodness, how true is this today? See, because this, just the idea of us being like from different nations, speaking different languages, maybe politically different, socially different, but yet being united by the blood of Jesus. This is an unusual concept in our day and age. But Jesus says it is powerful. And that when you, the united people of Jesus, come together, that what happens is that it, it bears witness to the world around them. There is this compelling witness that we cast before the watching world. That there is something that transcends political beliefs, that, that transcends nationalities or languages or races. And that something is Jesus Christ. And that when people see that, that there will be some that will be compelled by it. That we would grow, that we would be multiplied by putting the gospel on display through our very church. As a united people of Christ, that we would multiply, that we would grow. He sends them into the world as missionaries. He wants to see their growth. Finally, one of the final themes we see in verses 22 and verses 24 is that Jesus prays for our glory. He prays for our glory. That we will see his glory and that we might share in his glory. Be partakers, participants in the very glory of Christ. That we might be a people who are transformed. And we know this is how it, where it's all headed into glory. This is not a small thing. This is a glorious thing. This is huge. And Jesus prays his heart is that we would share in his glory. I don't know about you, but just thinking about those categories, brothers and sisters, that is precisely what we need today. We need to be God's people who are reminded that once we're in his hand, that nobody can take us out of his hands, that we are safe and that we're secure and that God is able to keep us. We need to be reminded that we are to be shaped and formed by his truth. We should be shaped and formed by his truth, that we are to be united, that we are to be outward-facing people, putting the gospel on display, and that one day that we will be transformed in the very glory of Christ. It's precisely what we need. 
And as Jesus prays, we would be wise to follow his example and to pray just like it. So it's the purpose of his prayer. Secondly, let's just look at a picture that he gives us of prayer. He said before, to be like Jesus, we must pray. If you just examine Jesus' life, you will see prayer all over the place. Constantly praying, meeting with the Father. In John 14, 10, the works that Jesus did, he attributed to the Father at work within him. Here he's the Son of God, the, the perfect man, and yet he does nothing on his own strength. But he seeks the will of the Father and depends on the power of the Father. And that's precisely what we ought to do as well. We ought to follow his example. See, in Luke chapter 6, as Jesus, before he stepped into calling his disciples and sending them into the world to, to perform miracles and to bring about healings and to walk in the power of the Spirit, before he sent them out, before he called them to himself, the first thing he did is he went up on a mountain and he spent the entire night in prayer. And then from prayer, he went to, his next focus was on the community. And then after he found out who was with him, you know what he did? Sent them out. Jesus in prayer, community, mission. And oftentimes, we can want to reverse those. We can want to, I'll just confess that my temptation is to think, no, let's go and do, let's go and do, right? And then they're like, well, I can't do this. I'm going to need some friends, right? And then I come and gather people around me. I better get some other people to kind of encourage them to do the same thing. And then finally, when that doesn't work, I find myself on my face crying out to God for help. Jesus did it the opposite way. And we would follow his example. John 6, feeding of the 5,000, crowd is impressed at what Jesus was able to do. Want to take him to Jerusalem, crown him right then and there. Seeing what was happening, being tempted, Jesus retreated to a mountain and prayed. In John 11, we see uh, Jesus as he raises Lazarus from the dead. Before he does that, he, he cries out to the Father. Thanks God for hearing his voice. In John 12, 27 and 28, Jesus prays that through his death, the Father might be glorified. On and on and on we can go. As you look at the life of Christ, you see that his life was a praying life. He longed for intimacy with the Father. He wanted to be known by the Father and to know the Father. And he did that primarily through prayer. And if Jesus, the Son, needs to do that through prayer, guess what? You and I need to as well. If we want to grow in our relationship with God, we ought to be a praying people. We need to learn how to do this. Now, here's the deal. Oftentimes, when we think of prayer, um, many of us can feel guilty instantly. Uh, you know, if you think about this past week and what prayer looked like in your life, the temptation is to feel like, my goodness, um, I, I, I didn't do a great job of this. I, I certainly have room to grow. Let me just comfort you. This side of eternity, every single one of us will always have room to grow where prayer is concerned. Every single one of us. There will always be room to grow where prayer is concerned. That's why the disciples could see Jesus praying, and one of the questions to him was, Lord, will you teach us how to do that? Will you teach us how to pray? Jesus taught them, we know, through what is often called the Lord's Prayer. John 17 actually is the true Lord's Prayer. There's aspects of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus himself could not pray. He, he didn't need to ask for forgiveness for his sins, right? Because he did not sin. This, really, John 17, really is the true Lord's Prayer. And here's the deal. What this reminds us is as Jesus is doing the work of the Father, the power of the Father, crying out to the Father for help, we're reminded that God has chosen to do his work in this world through his praying people. So as we spent the last six, 
lost track now, the last number of weeks talking about what we long to see God do through our church. Parkview, listen, John 17 reminds us that God has chosen to do his work in this world through his praying people. Jesus shows us this. This is precisely what Jesus did because it's in this way. Why would he choose to do it? He doesn't have to do it this way. He doesn't have to want us to come to him and to seek him and to ask things of him. But he's made it this way. He's designed it this way. Why would he do this? Because he knows that it's in this way that God shows himself to us as his people. He reveals himself to us through prayer. And it's our delight to learn, to grow in our understanding of who this God is that we love and serve. Here in this moment, Jesus is not a, a, te a teacher providing a, a lesson, but rather he's giving them an example, a picture of what prayer can look like. They're able to listen in. We're able to listen in and to learn from this. It's interesting. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to cut it. A little bit off here. I wanted to give you some practical tips for how to do this, but I just will point out one. It's interesting that Jesus' um, first word in his prayer, if you look at verse 1 there, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father. He begins out of reverence by addressing his Father. Six times throughout the prayer, Jesus refers to God as the Father. Verse to him as Father. In verse 11, he calls him Holy Father. In verse 25, he calls him Righteous Father. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus instructs us to do the same thing, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. As we pray to God, this is the living God of the universe. Um, and as we pray to him, it's an act of worship, and we approach him out of reverence. But it's so important for us to remember that Jesus calls him father and we can too following this prayer jesus was to cross the kidron valley and go into the garden where he would be betrayed and handed over to his death in just a matter of hours he would be hanging on a cross and it is because of this wonderful act of love and sacrifice that we now are able to approach god as our Father, our loving Father. Yes, He's great and He's almighty and He's an eternal God, but He has become our Father in Christ. You know, Matthew 11, when Jesus is baptized, uh, if you're familiar with the story, there's a voice that comes from heaven. And the voice says that this is my beloved Son, who I am now pleased. As we approach God in prayer through Christ, as we long to be a people who are a praying people and a praying church, um, prayer is also a way not just by which we speak things to God, but by which we hear from God. And as we come to him because of Jesus Christ, we're able to hear from him, beloved daughter, you are my beloved son. We are his people. We are his children, and he is our father gives us great reason and confidence to approach him because he's a good and gracious father who frankly just wants to hear 
from his children. So one of the ways that we remember ultimately the work that was done to help us become children of God, our great father, is through the Lord's Supper. And I think there's, hopefully you got the elements as you walked in, but we're going to transition now to a time of remembering um, the cross of Christ, his death and resurrection, that allows us to, to be able to approach God as our Father now. So if you got, you can, you can take out the bread, and I will, I'll read scripture, and we will take this together as a way of remembering um, how Jesus' blood and sacrifice has brought us into the family of God. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat the bread together. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, let's take the cup now and drink together. Let's pray. Father, with joy, we praise you, gracious God. For you created heaven and earth, and you made us in your image. You kept covenant with us, even when we fell into sin. We give thanks right now this morning for Jesus Christ, our Lord. By his life, death, and resurrection, opened to us the way of everlasting life brought us into the family of the Most High. God, that we may approach you with confidence, with understanding that every time we draw near, Lord, you will embrace us, and that your ears are not dull, but that you hear us. And so, Lord God, would you help us, just like Jesus was a man of prayer, would you help us to be a church to praise be a people who pray we love you and we ask these things in your holy and precious name amen